The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Laura Galloway. She's author of Mom's Mean Business, a guide to creating a successful company and happy life as a mom entrepreneur. And Laura is a radio talk show host. A, she calls herself a mom biz coach or is a mom biz coach, a certified coach, entrepreneur, uh, sought-after speaker, and frequent media guest. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Laura. Thanks so much, Catherine. Well, as I understand it, there are more than 9 million own, women-owned businesses in the United States, and they account for $1.3 trillion in revenue. And American women are starting businesses at a rate of twice that of men. Surprise, surprise. And most of these hmm. women are also moms. So I'm going to ask you the question, what does it take to be successful as both a mom and as an entrepreneur? Well, that is the <laughs> crux of the entire book, but okay. in a super quick, super secret sauce answer, <laughs> um, the bottom line is it takes having a very clear and personally defined definition of success. That's the bottom line of it. And what Aaron and I, my co-author Aaron Babler and I realized as we've been coaching the women we've worked with over the last few years is that while, you know, like most things, it sounds simple, Right. But actually doing it is not so simple. And what we found in ourselves and in the women that we work with is that, you know, success is kind of a, um, it's enigmatic. It's hard to see. It's hard to define. Like, we may look around in the media and see these people that make all of the amazing headlines. You know, the, the entrepreneur who had a, you know, multi-million dollar business she sold by the time she was 18. And, you know, the woman who has nine children and has run three successful companies and just taken over some huge corporation or sold herself off to some ginormous corporation. Like, we see things like that and we go, oh, my God, that's so successful. It's so amazing and it's so inspiring. And yet, when we look at, a, at something like that, we don't necessarily do that, like, connecting of the dots to say, okay, well, that, you know, maybe that's super successful and I admire that for her. But is that actually the name of the game when it comes to how I define success? And but is Laura, that what I'm going to do? Well, Laura, what, what do we always say that? I'm not so sure because sometimes I look at those women that you've described and, yeah, they sold their business for $100 million at age 19 or whatever. But mm-hmm. I kind of look at them and say they are so successful. I'm a mom. I want to be in business. There's no way I can do that. So maybe I shouldn't even try because that just seems so overwhelming or that, you know, she has so much more than I do, whether intellect, money, support. And you can also go in the other direction. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know what? You, you are absolutely articulating the whole other side of that, which is, so one thing could be like, oh, yeah, wow, that's amazing. But the other is that it is disempowering, right? Like, yeah. well, geez, that's nothing like me. I could never do that. And so then we develop a, a self-limiting belief that, you know, says, okay, well, that's nothing that I could ever go for. And so I shouldn't even try. So yeah, it's it's what I what I guess we are trying to get at with the book is that we don't have a great set of like a great set of role models, a great or, or they're out there. We just don't exactly have a framework for seeing what success looks like specifically for a mom entrepreneur, for a woman who is very clearly defining her role and her position as a mom as part of her top priorities in her life. So our definition let. of success is going to be different than a man's. I, I mean, which yeah. is, yeah. And so definition of success, I'm repeating again, because you said that really is the key and the important thing. So, you know, as you've written in the book, what, how do we define our success? It's a little bit different. It's more, it's unique for women and it encompasses being a mom as well as running a business. And that's different than being a dad and running a business. So uh, what do we do? How do we start? Well, it starts with your priorities, and it starts with getting to really know yourself. And, you know, again, not borrowing ideas that we see in the media or lessons we may have learned from our parents about what success looks like or, you know, even from our friends and neighbors. But it starts with determining your own priorities and saying, you know what, like maybe at this point in my life I've had my three kids, the oldest is 12, the youngest is eight, And I'm starting to really care about my physical fitness and my shape. And so getting back into good physical shape and having really great health, that's becoming more of a priority at this point in my life. So I've got to create a work schedule and a life that allows me to honor that priority. And when I honor my priorities, I'm going to feel successful. You know, for someone else, it could be, okay, you know, I've sacrificed a whole lot over the years to keep my family as the center focus of my of my priorities, but now this business is really ready to take off and all the hard work I've I've put into it, it's time to shift gears and scale this baby up and really make the financial success that we've been looking for all these years. So it can look so many different ways. So it's unique is what you're saying. It's unique to each one of us and we have to understand that and not try to follow in somebody else's footpaths or the my best friend next door who's also trying to be an entrepreneur. Now, I mean, you have stories. You have advice from women, well-known women entrepreneurs in the book. Uh, what do some of them say? How have they become successful um, mm-hmm. in, in, sort of as defined as the way you're defining it in uh, Moms Mean Business? Well, you know, there's so many great entrepreneurs that we interviewed and that were willing to contribute their stories. And, you know, I mean, some of them just make you laugh when you read their definition of success or their definition of balance. Or uh, one of the local women um, I love sharing, Terry Grawl, was, uh, is a woman from Michigan. And she said, you know, my definition of balance looks like this. One day, my toilets are clean. The other day, my emails are answered. You know, it's yeah. not necessarily <laughs> going to happen all day, every yeah. day. I love it. It's just a super basic thing. Another woman that was um, uh, named Canada's top female entrepreneur for two years in a row, Kelsey Ramsden, she has a really different version of success, and she runs a really non-traditional business for a woman. She heads up a huge multi-million dollar construction company. And, you know, like hard hat and power tools lady. She's amazing. And so her definition of success has been really interesting. And she's been, you know, she said, quite honestly, she's been criticized by other women for the times that she left her two-year-old daughter at home with her husband and had to be on the road for a month. 
You know, and, you know, she's like, you know, men do this all the time, but she's been criticized because she's a mom and she's had to make that sort of a choice. And, you know, she doesn't have any regrets and she doesn't seek anybody's permission for it to be okay. She did it her way. You know, so I I think those are just a couple of really fun examples. Another one. But you know what? Doing it our way, before you get to a third example, but doing it our way, and I think it's really critical that you mention this with this very successful woman entrepreneur construction Mm -hmm. business, which is obviously traditionally a male business. Mm -hmm. We don't have the support of society in the same way. Let's say we have a pretty good direction like where we're going and what we want to do, and even we get family support. In this case, the woman Mm -hmm. you described, her husband's going to take care of the baby for a month good for him, but then you've got all those other women, other men, other people out there telling you, you're a bad mom, why are you Mm -hmm. doing this? How do you handle that? Because I think that's really, even today, and I think things have changed, but it's still out there, you should be home, you know, yeah, you can have a job, you can own a company, but we don't want to see you running across the United States doing business and leaving your two-year-old at home. Yeah, isn't that isn't that the truth? Yeah. I mean, you know, and and I think this is a a battle we're going to continue to have to fight to always be able to determine what's right for us and not let society dictate that we you know breastfeed or don't stay home or don't send our kids to day daycare or not. Um, the bottom line, and and this is again where we kind of start in the book, is really you deciding. You know, when you're 90 years old and you're looking back on your life. And let's say at that age, you're just so happy and fulfilled and you're just amazed at how beautifully your life worked out. From that place, looking back, what are the things that made you feel so happy and so proud and fulfilled? Those things are the things that should be your metrics for success and that should guide you in making your choices. And you notice nowhere in there did I say, what did the media or your parents or your neighbors say about the choices you made? It's all got to come from that inner permission, giving yourself permission to decide what that success will look like for you. Do we have a checklist in the book? I mean, I know it's a book that can help guide us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do we, a, che- a general checklist of how we should be able to do that? You know, I'm 90 years old. I look, this is what I did. Are there some really yeah. kind of specific things that I could have or should have done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in chapters one and two. We do in chapter one, we do a personal assessment to help you kind of figure out where some things, some things that you may be doing real well in your life and some things that might be kind of compromising or sacrificing for your current definition of success or your current way of operating. And then in chapter two, we do have you go through a that visioning exercise. I mean, the, the book, the whole book is a do-it-yourself coaching book. So it's almost like a workbook and a book in one. And, you know, we actually do take women through that because we know, Catherine, it is hard. Like, we can hear, yeah, go define, you know, success for yourself. We can hear that, but it's actually quite hard to do. So we feel like the exercises we've put in the book will help you get there if you actually take the time to fill them out. And you talk about a mom-friendly business plan to get you focused. Mm -hmm. What is a mom-friendly business plan? Well, again, the idea that we use, the one that we use in the business in the book is called the one-page business plan, which is a, a created by a man named Jim Horan. He did a wonderful job, and Oprah featured it back on her website back in 2009, and that's when I first discovered it and started using it with my clients. And the bottom line is that business plan, it's not the one that you're going to fill out and have, you know, 75 pages and take to 
investors, venture capitalists, and say, you know what, hey, fund my business. That's not it. The whole point of the one-page business plan is to get you in the right mindset to name your goals, to create specific measurable objectives for those, and to have a vision and a mission that drives that to keep that motivation clear as you create your strategies and your action plans to get there. It's all in one page, and we firmly believe that you include things like, you know, this is one thing I've been coaching my clients on for a long time is that you actually have some metrics for measuring your personal success. You know, if that is, you know, for me, one of the things with my family is that I believe I have to put a healthy home-cooked meal on the table every night or about five nights a week at about 6.30 p.m. Now, that's in my business plan because I know that if I start creating other metrics in my business that cause me to work long hours and miss dinner all the time or do takeout, I'm starting to lose a focus on some priorities that really matter to me. So that's what we do in the business plan. And you have a husband and three children. I don't think I mentioned that at the beginning of the show. So uh, that's a big family. You know, I've, yeah. that's, and you know, Laura, that's, that's unique. I haven't really heard of someone specifically saying that you need to have these kind of metrics applied to your personal life as well. They never include that. Like, I mean, in your case, the five meals a day, it may be something else for somebody else, reading, making sure that they read to their children every night. Or I mean, it could be, as you say, it's unique to each woman. But that's really, yeah. Yeah, yeah date night with your spouse once a week or twice a month. I mean, like, I just feel, so what, what we find, Catherine, is that in the business world and in most of the business books you'll read out there, when you write a business plan, it's all about business. It's what's it going to take to make this business successful. But what happens, meet an entrepreneur, you, you meet so many entrepreneurs these days that burn out. I mean, we know most of the businesses, you know, won't even make it past the third year of existence. But most, most entrepreneurs face burnout because they create a metric and a plan for business success that completely compromises some of the priorities they have in their life. And we yeah, feel you've got to put them together. Yeah, I, I agree because I think what happens, and this is, happens with men, uh, yeah, they, that's, that's not even, I mean, it could be included in a man's also business plan because what happens after they're ready to burn out, then they go to a spa or they have to go to a therapist. So it's always after the fact. Why not do it mm-hmm. before the fact, right? Which is what you're right. saying. For, the, for these right. moms, yeah. So well, now, how old are your children? So my youngest is eight, my middle is 10, and my oldest is 12. Okay. So th- you're busy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I have three boys. They're much older than yours, but that's an age where everybody's, they're doing activities, they're involved, they're engaged in school and on and on. So how do you do it? I mean, can you fit your mom's mean business guidance into like your personal story? How does that fit? Yeah. Well, you know, I wouldn't really be sitting here having a conversation about this book if I weren't living it. That would not be any sort of integrity. (laughs) So (laughs) I only preach what I can possibly practice and I only share what I've learned. Um, So for me, one of the things like, you know, getting back to one of the metrics in my business plan, the one about the dinner table. Well, I'm having with all of the kids in dance and soccer and cross country and jazz band and all the stuff that's going on now, I'm having to laugh at myself that, yeah, I'm getting the healthy home cooked meal in their bellies, but it's not always at the dinner table. In fact, I'm thinking I'm going to have to start evolving this, you know, plan of mine to include a healthy home cooked meal in the minivan 
five nights a week because honestly, I am driving people to and from places all the time at the, you know, at the dinner hours. And so it's becoming really difficult to get us to all gather at that dinner table. And I'm having to, you know, kind of evolve and assess my plan so that I can still make the priority parts happen. Yeah, you can revise your plan. And don't you think you have to revise it as the kids, as they age, as they get older, because their needs change. So things change. Yeah. So, yeah. So everything changes. So, but it's okay to do that. I would even say, like, I think you have to, you know, for me right now with the kids, um, with my life being so enmeshed with the kids, I really feel like our, our schedule changes, you know, a little bit, like noticeably every season. Right? Like we just yes. went from the fall sports to now we're moving into winter sports. So all of our routines changed. So the time that we have to be at this activity or that and what we have to pack and prepare for the day, that has all changed. And that impacts me. My husband, he goes off to the corporate job. It doesn't impact him so much, but it absolutely impacts me. And so I have to plan for that and I have to evolve my, you know, my schedule and my plan about every season because it is, I do feel the brunt of the change with the seasons with the kids' sports and activities. What if they don't gel with what you have to do in your business, let's say, because the kids, yes, what they're doing evolves, what you're doing evolves. Do you have to, or do you recommend, Mm -hmm. and I don't like to use the word compromise, but change the children's schedules or, let's say, allow or not allowing them to, say, take an extra, uh, do an extra activity because you can't really handle that given that you are a mom entrepreneur. Uh, Is that something you do or do you recommend other moms do? Uh, How do you, you because that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great question. And, you know, in, in your question, what I hear in there is the fact that what I do for me is for me and what other women need to do for themselves, they need to decide that for themselves. We, part of the thing that we do in the book is give women permission to make these choices. You don't have to do it the way I do it. I don't want you to. Do it the way you want to do it. But for me, I will tell you that, yeah, there are times like when we have the deadline to get this book off to our publisher There were times where I had to have a conversation with my kids. I'm like, you know what, guys? I drive you here. I drive you there. I pick you up, drop you off, make all of your food, you know, take care of you, all this kind of stuff all the time. But for the next month, I need you to help take care of me. I'm not going to be able to clean the kitchen, put dinners on the table all the time. I'm going to be sitting at the dining room table from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. writing a book. And I'm busy. And I need you to let me be the focal point. And I need you to see how you can shift not only to not needing me to do all the things I normally do, but to also support me. And that was a very cool conversation to be able to have with my kids. And let me tell you, they rose to the challenge. They were very helpful with me. See, I think that is, I mean, to me, that's the key, sitting down with your kids and and explaining it just the way you did. Because I think sometimes what mom entrepreneurs tend to do also – they consider themselves the alpha woman and they kind of keep their kids out of it, yet they're running around like crazy women trying to please everybody, which of course they're mm-hmm. not, uh, let alone not pleasing themselves. So when you really see, kids do rise to the occasion and I, and I think I, I'm identifying with what you said to your children because I did that too and it works because then they're, <laughs> they, they do respect you and they do support you and they like to see you as succeeding. I, I think they did, you know, inherently that, that feels good to them. So have that conversation. I would say that that's key as you're for I think that applies really to all women who want to be entrepreneurs and moms at the same time. 
Well, and in your line of work, certainly with social work, I'm sure yeah. that you have conversations with parents about, you know, what are you modeling, right? right. And I, that's a big thing for me with my clients. It's like, okay, what are you teaching your kids when you sacrifice every single thing for their needs? What are you teaching them? What are you teaching them about being responsible for their own happiness? You know, like, I'm teaching them that I'm responsible for my happiness. Yeah. I don't apologize when I, when I have to work or when my work takes some priority over what they do. It's a very conscious choice. But, you know, I don't apologize for it because I, they know, like, I talk about how happy this work make, makes me. And I think they get excited for you. I, I think kids do. really do. Yeah. And, and, and probably if you could, and maybe you have, if you listen to them or hear what they say at school to their teachers or their friends, they probably brag about you. They, they get excited about what their, their mother is, is doing, I think. Um, so Catherine, I, I, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. I yeah. was very overwhelmed when, my, when the publisher sent the first set of advanced copies of the books. And my, my two younger ones asked, you know, they're in elementary school, asked, can we take a copy of your book to school? And I was like, well, yeah. Oh, I mean, I guess. Okay. You know, <laughs> I've never done this before. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And so they did. And they shared it in circle time with their teachers. And, I mean, the teachers have come up to me, the principal, lots of other moms and parents. One kid stopped me at the pet store and said, oh, you're Paul's mom. You wrote that book. I want my mom to read that book. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Like, they were so proud. And, it, you know, I think to your point, it's like by me setting that boundary and telling them I needed their support and I needed them to help me, well, they get to take pride in that book because because of their help, they made it possible, you know? Exactly. That's a great example. Yeah. That, and yes. That's, now you've made them celebrities. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. That's great. It's a family affair. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and and it always I think it always is when it's it's mom. Moms mean business. Okay, so what uh, what do we need to tell? Uh, you know, what, what can we take from the book that we need? To, well, first of all, we need our listeners to go out there and buy the book uh, because there's a lot in it. We can't cover the whole thing during this half hour. But so um, some of these, uh, one of the things that we sort of touched on, but really didn't get to, was an approach to self care. You talked about self care that allows you to handle all of this. So, like, for you mm-hmm. or for some of the women in the book, what is self-care? I mean, besides exercising, I understand eating mm-hmm. well and sleeping the best you can. Okay, those are the three big ones. Is there anything else we can add to that? Well, yeah, you you hit three of the biggest ones on there, um, but there are so many. And one of the things that we come up against is, you know, this idea of, oh, I don't have time, right? I just, you know, I would do better self-care, but I really, I just don't have time. And so we made that a whole chapter of the book because... We've got to, you know, we've got to get over it. We want our clients to create really sustainable businesses, not quick fly-by-the-night, you know, success and then failure later on. Um, And we don't want you compromising all the other things that are important. So how can you squeeze in self-care? Well, again, the first step is giving yourself permission to need whatever kind of self-care you need. It might not be the same as somebody else. In fact, one of our contributors, Julie Cole, is the mother of six children including one autistic child, so that takes a bunch of extra work and time and energy and effort on her part sometimes to help be a great advocate for him in school and things like that. And her husband is a consultant who travels like five of the seven days every week. So 
she also runs a multi-million dollar business called Mabel's Labels. And how on earth, I mean, she's one of the four founders of the company. How on earth does she handle self-care? And we asked her that, and her quote in the book was hilarious. She's like, you know what, girls? I got to be honest. I don't need a whole lot of self-care. If I did, I wouldn't have had six kids and started a company. Self-care for me is looking like driving the van with a bunch of kids in it and dropping them off at their various sports and having hilarious conversations with my little people in the car as we go. Like, that's her self-care. It's just connecting with her kids on the way to dropping them off. Whereas other moms, they book a spa treatment every single week. It's a standing appointment. They make room in their budget for it because that is absolutely critical for them. So it looks different for all of us. And yet, (laughs) we got to squeeze it in. Yeah, you have to squeeze it in. But Laura, and we're talking uh, to Laura Galloway, and Moms Mean Business is her new book. But do you find that women have difficulty, like, well, asking for help, let's say babysitting help or or some high school girl to come over and help them? Because I think getting help in any way that you possibly can, if you can afford it on a full-time basis, great, uh, if you or if, if you want it. But there are other more creative ways to getting help or having other mothers help you? Because I, I think that also can be a part of it, to give you the opportunity to be able to free up your time to, to, to run your business. Yeah, absolutely. Our most precious resource as mom entrepreneurs is not money, it's time. And to get more time to do, to spend it on the priorities that we have, we absolutely ask for, have to ask for help. And I mean, we have to ask it in all sorts of areas. But you know, one of the most fun things I've ever done in creatively creating time to work on my business is running Mom Biz Camp with my business partner, Sheila Cummins. We decided to spend two weeks out of each summer working on our business. And so she has three small kids. I had three small kids. We'd get together at either my house or hers and bring all the kids together and we'd hire two high school or teenage babysitters to take care of the kids for six or seven hours a day while we work at the house, but the teenagers took the kids out and entertained them all day. And it was amazing. Our kids loved their time together, loved our activities. We got so much done and provided an amazing time for our kids to enjoy themselves in the summer. Yeah. Important point. I, I used to do that. I always lived near a college, and I would do that with college girls. So having mm-hmm. somebody come and take care of the kids doesn't mean that I'm leaving. I'm there, too. We're all there. Right. And, yeah, and so uh, and, and I think sometimes women have to get out of the mindset that, you know, I bring in a babysitter, and that means I'm leaving to go to work. No, not necessarily true. You're just bringing somebody else in or one or two people, as you described it, which is a great idea. I think that's, I mean, that's another, I think, key point. Um, we only have a couple more minutes before we have to say goodbye. But uh, So I want to make sure, obviously, that everybody can go to your website, momsmeanbusinessbook.com, momsmeanbusinessbook.com. And that's the website to go to, uh, to, which describes the book and what you're doing, I assume. Absolutely. You can find all the links to the booksellers online there, and you can find out about some of the programs we offer as well as sign up for our weekly permission slips, permission to make your life look the way you want to just by giving us your email address. A weekly permission slip. I didn't ask you about that one. That's a good one. So, yeah, yeah, 30 seconds. How? What do you do? How do you do that? Well, we find, again, that it just the little reminders, like this week our permission slip was giving you permission to define success without it being related to your business. <laughs> and uh, last week, I think it was giving yourself permission to not do some of the holiday traditions you don't want to do. 
So, you know, pumpkin patches and apple picking, that's not for everybody. It's a lot of fun for those of us on Pinterest, but, <laughs> you know, not, it might not be your cup of tea. So we're just giving permission for you to choose all the time. Great idea. Great having you on the show this morning. Thank you so much. Lara Galloway, Moms Mean Business, a guide to creating a successful company and happy life as a mom entrepreneur. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, Joining me this morning is Dr. Janice Vilhauer, Director of the Adult Outpatient Psychotherapy Program at Emory University in Atlanta and Assistant Professor in the School of Medicine. Uh, Her new book is Think Forward to Survive. How to Use the Mind's Power of Anticipation to Transcend Your Past and Transform Your Life. Uh, Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Janice. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I I guess an overview, I guess your book, and as we talked a little bit earlier before we got on the air, is kind of a form of 
uh, describes a form of cognitive therapy. And one of the things that we tend to do as lay people, I guess, is uh, we think about what we've done in the past. We're concerned about our mistakes. And so we're always kind of uh, striving not to repeat those mistakes in the future. And what happens is we just cut caught up in the past and we're not really looking towards the future and changing our behavior. So uh, you have a have pioneered, I guess, a whole new form of therapy called future-directed therapy, which switches that whole paradigm. So talk to us. What, how, what is the new paradigm? Well, so Think For to Thrive is detailing... Um, this intervention that I developed called Future Directed Therapy. And as you mentioned, it's sort of an evolution uh, sort of of cognitive therapy where uh, the premise is that, you know, what, how we create our future is through this process where we're constantly pulling from past experiences, then we kind of project that into the future and oftentimes recreate the past over and over again. We don't really recognize that we're doing this. You know, we think that we're trying to make different choices, but we don't sort of understand the process and therefore it's hard to sort of change. And so what future-directed therapy does is it focuses almost exclusively on what we call anticipatory thinking or thinking about the future and we teach people a whole process by which they can you know become more aware of that you know how to intercept and develop uh, you know, intercept the old sort of thoughts and develop a new way of thinking and then we also teach skills for you know building uh, the future that they're wanting so we teach them goal setting and problem solving and you know visualization and all the kinds of skills that are necessary in order to be able to create positive future experiences. Dr. Vilhauer, can we put this in a context for those who are listening, lay people who are listening? Uh, what does that actually mean? Are you talking about people who come to, say, see you in therapy or see or, or go to counseling? Or are you just talking about, in general, this is what we as a general do is just generally, uh, uh, you know, what is the context for, say, Thinking forward, or or think forward to thrive. Do can we do? Are we just? Are we doing that in a therapy situation? Well, originally this was developed as an intervention for people with major depressive disorder, and I developed it because as I was working with a lot of people with depression, I noticed that the people getting better always seemed to be the ones that were able to identify some sort of goal and work on that, and it's sort of in that process is when a lot of times the depressive symptoms would lift. And so I you know, kind of went to the literature and psychology and really wanted to understand more about future thinking and how that was related to depression. And what I found was that, uh, you know, contrary to how we've in in the past sometimes thought about uh, depression and the way people think, you know, we've often thought that people with depression think more negatively about their future. And what I found was that that's not exactly true, that what's happening is that people with depression tend to produce fewer positive anticipations. So they have a difficult time imagining positive things that are going to happen to them. And what that creates is a sense of hopelessness. So what I wanted to do was to see if we could teach people to do that, to develop a set of skills that would actually help people create those positive future experiences. So I took a what we call a positive psychology approach. It was really about teaching skills for wellness as opposed to you know, focusing on what was making them sick. And so as it turns out, not only is this helpful for people with depression, but these skills really can 
sort of be used by anybody who's really interested in learning how to create positive future experiences because it's really based on simply, you know, the understanding that we have in the field of psychology about, you know, what it is that people need to do to be effective in creating their future. So as a psychologist, and I'm getting back to this example thing, and I'm, I'm sitting in your office and I'm uh, depressed uh, and I'm not sure where the depression is coming from. I know the first thing usually what, that uh, uh, healthcare professionals tend to want to do is to give out medication, to dole out medication, antidepressants, those kinds of things, rather than what you're talking about, which seems like a really healthy approach. So I come into your office, I'm depressed, uh, not sure where the depression is coming from. What would you do? What do you do first? Well, I'll just start by saying that, you know, I really believe that, uh, you know, and what the research shows is that the best intervention oftentimes and the most uh, successful outcomes for people with depression oftentimes is a combination of medication plus psychotherapy. My work is really the psychotherapy piece. So, you know, when we talk about future-directed therapy, the future doesn't necessarily have to be something that's far away. You know, it can be as, you know, five minutes, five days, you know, five years from now. But it's the same process that we go through in terms of creating experiences for ourselves. So, you know, when people come in to see me, they're oftentimes focused on all of the things in their life they don't want. And this is one of the the things that I started to sort of notice uh, that was very significant about people with depression is that they could, you know, list sort of an endless number of things in their life they didn't want. They didn't want the job that they had. They didn't want the relationship that they were in. They didn't want their kids, uh, you know, talking to them the way they talked to them. They didn't want to deal with their next-door neighbor who was causing problems. So there was always a sort of list of things that were causing them in their mind, causing them to, you know, experience, you know, the sense of hopelessness and depression because they didn't know how to sort of deal with a lot of these situations. So... One of the things that I really get people to do is to focus very specifically, take their attention off of the unwanted things in their life and really redirect their thought process to things that they do want. The first step in creating any future experience is, requires that you identify a destination, a place that you want to go, as something that you want to be different in your life. So, for example, I had somebody who was in my office yesterday, who, uh, you know, was his, one of the reasons he's been experiencing a lot of depression is that he hasn't been able to find a job. Uh, and he's been on the job market now for about six months, and he, you know, had a job interview uh, about two hours after his visit with me. And he was, he looked extremely anxious. He looked really uh, distressed. And I said, well, what's going on? Can you tell me what's happening? What are you thinking right now? And he was actually spending an inordinate amount of time over that past week thinking about all the things that could go wrong at this job interview. He was very worried about how he was going to explain his last job, how he was going to explain, you know, uh, how he was going to sort of uh, explain the fact that he hadn't worked in six months, and he, you know, was really worried about all this. So he was creating this emotional state for himself that made it very unlikely that he was going to have a successful future experience at that job interview. And so what we did was we got him to sort of sit down and really think about, well, how does he want this job interview to go? In his ideal mind, if he could sort of create the experience that he wanted for himself, how could we make this go right? And that was a really different stream of thinking for him. And he had to really think hard about that because he was so over-focused 
on the other things and the, everything going wrong. And then as we were able to identify, you know, how he would like that interview to go, we were able to kind of then sort of strategize a few things that he could do, you know, prior to the interview that would kind of get him calm and get him into a space where he was really focused on his strengths. And, you know, it turns out the interview went pretty well. So, you know, as I said before, the future-directed piece of it doesn't necessarily have to be far away. It's, it's this understanding that we're constantly moving into the future. We're constantly creating experiences for ourselves all day long. And how we approach those experiences determines the outcome. How do so, we integrate, though, or do we? Do you integrate the past with the future? I mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, this, this client, this patient was focusing on the past and the neg- negative negativity. Uh, but is there, do you integrate the two in any way? Because let's say he had, and, and this is a, yours is a good example, let's say he's had several job interviews and he can sort of, if when he thinks about them, he realizes there were certain things that he did wrong or he that he thinks that impacted on the interview in a negative way. Do you bring that into the future? I mean, because you have to, you don't want to repeat the same thing. Is there any, or, or do you just forget about that and, and strictly focus on what you do want to do? Do you know what I'm saying? It seems like, Right. Yeah. So, well, that's exactly, and that was exactly the case for him. He had had a, a number of job interviews that had not gone well because, you know, he had been sort of fixating again always on it going badly and then looking at those past experiences and thinking it was going to go the same way again. And so, what we really get people to be aware, and that's happening at a level for most people that they're not really consciously aware of. They're not sort of aware of the fact that they're taking these past experiences and projecting them out there and then acting in a way that is more likely to bring about exactly what it is that they're thinking about. So we, you know, we act on what we sort of expect to be true. And so you know, one of the things we have to help people with in this process is learn if they've had a lot of negative past experiences that are inconsistent with what they want in life, we help them to really kind of become very consciously aware of what their expectations are about the situation. And then we try to help them build new expectations. We, we actually go through a whole process where we sort of step-by-step step begin to help people change their belief structure about what it is they're expecting in the future so that they can act accordingly. Because you can't, everybody acts on what they expect not what they want. It's, those are two very, very different things. That's a good distinction. I, I uh, not on what you expect. Could you repeat that again? Because I think that's important. That's kind of key to the whole thing. Um, not they act on what they expect rather than what they want. So you really have to focus on what you want. Is that what you're saying? And that that leads you well, into the future. And, yeah. Well, we have to align what they want with what they expect. So if the expectation is that it's not going to go well, then the chances that, you know, they're going to do anything to change that experience are very unlikely because the actions usually match up with the expectation. So what we have to do is, you know, first we identify, well, what is it that you want? And then we go back and we look at, well, what are the expectations about achieving that? And how can we begin to, you know, shift that and align your expectations and and begin to actually change the expectation? And we do it in a very step-by-step way. It's not the kind of thing that, you know, you can just change your expectation overnight. You know, there's a, a sort of process that we go through that, you know, begins to help people, you know, build the confidence to build the, uh, you know, to take different actions that maybe are smaller that move them in the direction to oftentimes 
also to sift their past experiences in a different way. So what we know is that people tend to sift their, you know, their experiences um, in a way that's consistent with how they feel. So someone who's depressed will more likely pull out uh, experiences in their environment that match up with that depression. So, you know, an example I give somebody is if you go to a party and, you know, 10 people tell you you look great, but you have, you know, this kind of feeling of low self-esteem, one person says to you, gee, that's an interesting shirt you have on, you're going to go home and fixate on, you know, the interesting shirt comment, and now it turns into, well, you know, what was wrong with what I'm wearing? Why do I always dress so badly? How come no? You know, it's, it becomes, they, they make it bigger, and it's, they sort of forget entirely about the 10 people who, you know, might have made a different comment. So, Sometimes what we have to do is get people to recognize that, you know, they're pulling from past experiences uh, but that, that are negative, but that there are also other past experiences that they're sort of ignoring and neglecting altogether that, you know, may have been more consistent with what they want. So we, you know, can sort of bring those out, bring those more into their conscious awareness so that they can use that as evidence to move forward that what they're trying to do is not as far away from, you know, where they want to be. So they don't want to live out this self-fulfilling prophecy of all this negativity, uh, which is what, I guess, well, obviously people who are depressed tend to do that. What about this form of therapy with other diagnoses besides depression? Does it work? Well, we've only studied it specifically in depression. You know, I'm a big believer that as we sort of evolve in the field of psychotherapies that um, you know, there's not really a one-size-fits-all model anymore that, in fact, different types of disorders tend to respond better to different types of treatments. And so, you know, future-directed therapy has really been developed based on the sort of biology that we know about people with depression. We know they have an underactive reward processing system, which, you know, has to do with how they think about the future. So, And we also know that they have a tendency to have a lot of thoughts that are sort of inconsistent with producing positive future experience. So this is really an intervention that was developed, you know, very specifically for people with depression. But the skills, as I said earlier, were really based on this positive psychology model. So it was really about sort of wellness and teaching people skills for being well. And so they tend to translate to everyone. I have a question. Does this work specifically, does it work better for certain groups of people than others? Uh, For instance, younger people, uh, let's say you have a college student who comes in who's depressed versus a middle-aged individual versus someone who is aging or an elderly person, do you find that uh, this is more effective in, in different populations? Well, we haven't really studied it in that way, so I would hesitate to make any claims about, you know, what it, if it's more effective in one age group or not. What I can say is that we've had different people of different age, all different age ranges sort of go through the, diff- the uh, course that we teach, and really we've seen benefit at, at every age level. You know, there are some differences, obviously, you know, as we, you know, at different stages of our life in terms of how much time we spend thinking about the future, you know, and at a, when we're younger, we tend to spend more time focused on it, you know, as we age, you know, sometimes, especially as you get into a, you know, a more elderly population, you see people who, you know, will actually spend more time sort of looking back at different things. What doesn't change and what is consistent across all age uh, ages is that 
you know, the process by which we create future experiences is pretty much the same for everybody. You know, we have to, you know, identify something we want. We have to be able to see what the steps are towards getting there. We have to be able to execute those steps and bring about the experience. So that part doesn't necessarily change for anybody. Right. So, it, it se- well, as you're describing it, I guess it does. So overall, it seems to apply to all of these the different demographics, different populations. Uh, what's been the response? I mean, you're at Emory University. What's been resp- the response from your colleagues? Because um, this kind of varies. This is a quite a different, obviously, a different approach, as you say, changing the paradigm for doing counseling or therapy with with. Uh, people who are diagnosed with depression. And you say alienation, stagnation. You don't have to necessarily be suffering from full-blown depression. Uh, You can, am I right when I'm saying that? Yes. I mean, really, I think that this, again, it's it's another treatment for people who are oftentimes just stuck, you know, and there are different kinds of depression, too. You know, it's this might not be specifically the right treatment for somebody who's in the middle of a, a huge crisis. Um, this is more a treatment for people who have been stuck for a long time, you know, people who have been experiencing depression for, you know, many months or many years, and they've had a really hard time being able to, you know, break out of that and to move forward. So, you know, again, we develop different types of treatments uh, in order to address the, you know, different types of problems that people have. And so, I mean, the more specific we can get at, you know, identifying their problem and target a treatment at their problem, the more benefit they're going to get from that. Um, in terms of, you know, the response, it's been, you know, pretty positive. People kind of recognize that there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of value in getting people to be able to think, you know, about the future in a positive way, especially for those people that have been stuck uh, for a long time. And and I want to emphasize that your book has been described as a book that kind of breaks down the science into easy step-by-step guides for the layperson, that it's, it's very simple and it, helps you to achieve some of these life-transforming skills. So um, in, in terms of the book itself, uh, you're not, it's not filled with all of these scientific descriptions of, of the how-to, but it, it really is simple and easy. Give us some examples uh, in the book that just the tips and the tools that you have are a couple of them. Yeah, so I mean, and that, you know, I... And, you know, this was developed from my experience of working with people. And what I have always found is that, you know, people tend to remember things that are simple. You know, when someone's in a moment of distress and they're trying to change a behavior, you know, they don't really understand a lot of kind of complex theory. What they understand is and what they are able to use are are very simple steps. So that really was the goal of this book was to create a very simple step-by-step process for people. Some things that I think are very simple and, and can make very significant changes if people are able to apply it is this, you know, one simple process, which I always, it's kind of a three-step process, but the first part of it is to first simply notice your emotion. If you're thinking about any future experience, you know, really notice the emotion. What is the emotion that's being generated? If it's a negative emotion in any way, if it's fear, anxiety, being overwhelmed, you know that what that's telling you is you're focused on something unwanted in the future. You know that that's an indication that, you know, you're imagining that some future experience is going to go badly for you in some capacity, that it's not going to work out the way you want it to. And so if you're able to identify that, then simply asking yourself this really simple question, well, what do I want instead 
oftentimes just allows them to identify a different target, something else to work on. So instead of, you know, failing at the job interview, my past client I was talking about, you know, being able to think about, okay, what do I need to do to make this go successfully for me? So, you know, they're able to identify that he wants it to go in a successful way. And then the very next question, and how do I get there, starts to activate that problem-solving part of the brain, the executive network that generates solutions for people. So, you know, oftentimes in session, a lot of what we do is, you know, what are the solutions? Like, how do we begin to get there? You know, identifying, you know, what are the obstacles in the way to getting there and, and how do we get around that? And so as they do that, they're really generating an entirely different stream of thinking. This is a whole stream of thinking about creating the successful experience as opposed to the thing that they're fearful or anxious about. So if we want to, um, we're, I don't have a website here for, for listeners. If we want to learn, obviously, more about the book, you can buy the book at bookstores everywhere. But where can, is there more information on a website about you and what you're doing and your work or how, how one can get involved? Or how do we get, are, if you, is this unique? Are there other therapists around the country doing the uh, forward you know, forward to thrive therapy, let's say, uh, and, and someone would like to connect with a therapist? Um, so there are some different people in sort of select cities. You know, we're slowly kind of growing this and getting this out to other therapists and training them. Um, people in Los Angeles and Hawaii, and I believe a little bit, a couple of people in the Northeast are doing it right now. But uh, if people are interested in hearing more about it, reading some of the research, finding out more about the book, uh, the website to go to is futuredirectedtherapy.com. Um, yeah. <laughs> futuredirectedtherapy.com right so and but Ed you're at Emory and that do you have a private practice or are you associated with the university only no I'm a full-time faculty member at the university and so we do future directed therapy here as well in our outpatient clinic well uh have we left anything out? I mean, I want to make sure that, that uh, because I think it's, uh, I, I love the idea of it. I think that we really have gotten so, and I've done counseling and therapy in the past as a social worker, and really I think you're, you, you really are on to something, this kind of positive thinking. That's what keeps coming up in my mind. You know, it's uh, this the future-oriented, positive way of thinking about what you can do to make good choices and change your life. So um, anything you want to leave the listeners with uh, well, that we have? Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I think the way I describe it, it's less about perhaps positive thinking as much as it is about learning to create effective thinking for creating positive experiences because Uh I think there's a real difference there. I think oftentimes positive thinking, you know, can actually be detrimental if it's sort of done in a way where people aren't sort of recognizing, you know, all of the implications and the other things that they need to do. So I really like to think of it as effective thinking for creating positive experiences. That's a a much better way of saying it, yes. Yeah, effective thinking. Okay, that's something I think that we all can work on. Well, it's been great having you on the show today, and uh, I want to mention you can get your book online, bookstores everywhere, Think Forward to Thrive, How to Use the Mind's Power of Anticipation to Transcend Your Past and Transform Your Life. I think that's something most of us would like to do. Uh, We've been talking to Dr. Janice Vilhauer, a PhD uh, professor at Emory University in the Department of Psychiatry. Uh, Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. 
Thank you so much for having yeah. me. It was a real pleasure. Yeah, it was great talking to you. Uh, we're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 